We are going to be in John chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, you can start to turn there. Uh, if you're new or visiting with us, welcome. Uh, we're glad that you're here. We have some Bibles in the back that are our gift to you. Or if you prefer just to follow along on your device, we use the English Standard Version. So we've been going through the Gospel of John this last uh, several weeks. We have been going through what we call the uh, Upper Room Discourse in John chapters 13 uh, through 16. And if you've been with this and maybe have noticed that what's going on there is that Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. He knows that they're sad. He knows that they're sorrowful. He knows that they're going to scatter once he's arrested. So we're hours away from the cross. And Jesus now transitions from equipping and preparing his disciples for his departure to actually interceding for them. Now in your bulletins, you'll see a title there that says Jesus, our ultimate prayer warrior. Well, that really does not do it justice. So I changed the title to ultimate interceder because that is what Jesus is. He is both God and man interceding at the throne on our behalf. So in Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, if you've ever read that, it's a great book, I highly recommend it. He says this, he beautifully explains what Jesus' intercession means for the people of God. This is what he says. Jesus' interceding for us reflects his heart, the same heart that carried him through life and down into death on behalf of his people is the heart that now manifests itself in constant pleading with and reminding and prevailing upon his Father to always welcome us. He goes on to say that the intercession of Christ is his heart, connecting our heart to the Father's heart. And in John 17, we see Jesus' heart for his church, for us on display. So the question for us this morning is this. What is Jesus' heart for his people? I've broken the text into three main sections. There's three main movements here. One, Jesus' heart for us is to experience eternal life, verses one through five. Number two, Jesus' heart for us is to be on mission for his mission, verses six through 19. And number three, Jesus' heart for us is to be unified as his church, verses 20 through 26. See, on this side of the resurrection of Jesus, we see now in hindsight that this prayer that Jesus prays, his interceding, he is the ultimate interceder who intercedes passionately for you and for me. You don't believe me? Look at Hebrews 7, 25. Consequently, we read this even this morning. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. 
Last night, we uh, had the privilege of going to a football game at AU, AU won, all right, go AU, go Eagles. Um, and it was a great time. And I thought about us being in the stands and cheering on those on the football team of AU. We were not cheering on Walsh, we were cheering on AU. In a lot of ways, Jesus is our elder brother. That's what scripture talks about. He's our elder brother. He's cheering us on from the stands, the stands of the throne room of God, pleading to the Father on our behalf, saying, keep going, keep going. But here's the thing, here's the difference between a fan that's in the stands cheering on a football team. Jesus is not only in the stands, he's with us by his spirit, empowering us to carry on, to persevere. So what is Jesus' heart for his people? Jesus' heart for us is to experience eternal life. So what we're gonna do, we're gonna do something differently instead of reading the whole passage of scripture and you forgetting about it and me forgetting about it, we're gonna read sections of it. So verses one through five. Turn with me there. John 17, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. See, Jesus pleads to his Father and says that his hour has come. In John, we've seen that the hour is referring to Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross. It is in the cross that we see Jesus glorify the Father, but also the Father glorify the Son with the same glory that Jesus had with the Father before the world existed. See, Jesus didn't just show up unannounced. He has always existed with the Father. And then God sent his son, born as a human, born from a virgin, yet without sin. Incarnate God into this world. The Father has given him all authority to the Son to give eternal life to all people that the Father has sovereignly given Jesus. Now, did you catch what Jesus says here about eternal life? Verse three again. And this is eternal life. What's eternal life? That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The verb here to know means a closeness, an intimacy of a personal relationship with a covenant God who will not stop, who will not relent in rescuing his people. Another way of saying it is to experience God. See, knowledge of God is not an intellectual assent, but it's a relational one. 
We have a relationship with the living God because of the Son of God. Something else I want to point out to you here in this verse is that the term know is this continual, has a continual sense to it. What does that mean? Well, knowing God through Christ is not a one and done kind of thing. But it's a continual learning. It's a continual humbling. It's a continual growing. It's a continual trusting. It's a continual repenting and turning back to God who is our hope and joy in this life. The more we grow in our knowledge of God found in his word, the more our heart will be bent towards him and not our sin. You know, so often people think, and maybe you've met some, and maybe you are here today, that you think that eternal life is just simply a free ticket to heaven with Jesus, but here on earth, that you're just left all by yourself to live out some form of spirituality. Fake it until you make it. Eternal life with God Boy, it really doesn't start until I get to heaven, right? I mean, that's really what eternal life is. That is not biblical Christianity. There's no hope in that. That is not biblical Christianity. That is not an understanding of eternal life. Eternal life breaks into our lives right now through Christ by the Spirit. That means that we get to know and delight in God personally right now. We get to have a relationship with him today, even in the midst of the broken and idolatrous world that we find ourselves in. This means that we can experience his grace in our lives every day in the mundane in the suffering, in the joys, in the cares, in the stresses of life, and yes, even in the sorrow. Jesus intercedes for us to have eternal life and intimately know the only true God. We live in a culture of fast food spirituality. You can order it, personally customize it, and make it into whatever you want it to be. Take a couple of spoons of karma, Buddhism, whatever, mix a little Christian, add what the culture believes, you do you, and then add a pinch of the latest talk show host, inspiration, and voila. You've made your own spirituality. If this is your spirituality, then you are trusting in what you can do rather than what God has already done through Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. See, the call to Christianity is a call to Jesus Christ. 
the only way that we can know the only true God is through the only true way, who is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God sent his son to rescue helpless, spiritually destitute sinners like you and me. Are you growing in that intimate relationship with God? Are you seeking his face? Are you gazing upon his beauty in his word? Psalm 34, 8, I love what it says. It says, oh, taste and see. What's the psalmist saying there? Oh, experience that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Jesus' heart for us is to experience eternal life. What is Jesus' heart for his people? Secondly, Jesus' heart for us is to be on mission for his mission. Look with me in verses 6 and 19 as I read. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. The Father has given Jesus all authority. to give eternal life to all people that the Father has sovereignly given Jesus. Jesus prays and intercedes for his people. Just as the Father has sent Jesus, Jesus prays that his followers, those whom the Father has given him, who have kept and obeyed his word, those who have received his word and have come to know the truth, he is praying for them. He's not praying for the world. And the world in John is like this system of rebellion and hostility. 
but for those whom the Father has given him. So here we see three things, that Jesus prays for our protection against division on mission for him, that Jesus prays that we are protected on his mission, and that Jesus prays for our sanctification on his mission. So the verse one there, Jesus prays that his disciples would be protected by the Father. From what? Against division from one another. Look with me, there in verse 11. I am no longer in the world, Jesus says, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, referring to Judas of Iscariot that the scripture might be fulfilled. See, we have to remember that Jesus witnessed firsthand the lack of unity within his own disciples that he chose. Mark's gospel records two instances where Jesus' disciples were arguing over who was going to be the greatest. They're on the way to Jerusalem for him to die on the cross and they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest. There is hope for us people, okay? <laughs> also in Mark 10, 35 through 45, where James and John, get this, they request a place of honor from Jesus to sit by him in his glory. And guess what the disciples' reaction is? They're not clapping going, oh, good job, John, James and John, so glad. No, they're angry, they're livid that they would even ask such a thing. Probably because they wanted the same thing. So Jesus' prayer for protection for his church on his mission is one of great wisdom that he's praying for us right now. Jesus was greatly aware that disunity in the church is not caused so much by what's going on out there. It's by what's going on in here. It's not an external force, it's an internal. If you've been a believer long enough, or maybe not, you have experienced conflict in the church. And you have seen and experienced what that conflict does to the mission of the church. The church can divide over many issues, leadership, doctrinal, relational, economic, structural, about facilities, about what color the carpet's gonna be, where the coffee pot should go, ridiculous stuff like that but the church can also divide over different focuses of mission. Here's what happens. And maybe you've experienced this. One person or group is focused on the poor and the marginalized. Some others are, have a heart to put an end to human trafficking. And others are more concerned with adoption. And others protecting life in the womb as well as out of it. All of these, don't get me wrong, are wonderful and should be pursued as the Lord leads. 
But what we must not forget is that Jesus has given us his mission. And his mission is to make disciples who will make other disciples. Spread the good news. Teach others how to live as Christ lived. In the sorrowful, broken world that we have, the sin-stained world that we have, teaching others to live. This is otherwise known as the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, as he prays right now, I just want to encourage you, Substance Church, you have been faithful over these 10 years. You have served the community of Ashland faithfully. And we will continue to do so by God's grace. But we also want to remain faithful in proclaiming the gospel and living it out among the areas that God has us in. Church, again, you have been faithful. Some of you are sitting in these seats today because you were invited by someone who said, come and hear the gospel. Come and hear the good news. And then that someone began to show you how to walk as Jesus walked. Show you the scriptures, take you through them. Help you to follow Jesus. Someone started to teach you what it means to follow Jesus. And now you're helping others to follow Jesus. Folks, that is his mission. It is Jesus' mission. And we want to remain focused on his mission. Secondly, about his mission, Jesus also prays that we are protected on his mission. See, the context of our mission is the world in which we live in. Again, it is a system of rebellion and hostility towards God. People don't go to God by just opening up their arms and welcoming him in. They don't. Their hearts have to be changed. They're given a new heart, a heart of stone, given a heart of flesh, that they would respond to the gospel. Look with me there in 17, 14, and 15. Jesus says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. Now why? Why would Jesus choose to rescue us, rescue his church, but then let us remain in a world that is hostile and rebellious towards God? Do you ever wonder that? As you look at the news and you're seeing things become more and more hostile towards Christianity, towards the gospel? Because it is through Jesus' church and by the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of the gospel that his presence is made known to the world. 
God does not give us a get-out-of-suffering card. He doesn't. But we are given a promise that he will protect us from the evil one. And right now, my boss, who is battling cancer, he is on his way to getting chemo, and he is um, a solid believer. He knows full, full well he doesn't get out, of, get out of free suffering card. And yet, because of his suffering and the posts that he's making on Facebook, giving glory to God and saying, this is who Jesus is, that even in the suffering, he meets us. And yet he's in the world, in a hostile world, in a company where not everybody knows the Lord. And here he is, post after post, his wife being faithful with that, showing people the love of Christ. See, with Satan, our defeated foe, we can easily get distracted from Jesus' mission. Be entertained to death, whatever it is. And instead, focus on ourselves. And Satan loves it when we compromise our worship to him and forget that our purpose in this world is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Jesus, our Lord, intercedes for our protection against our chief enemy, Satan. And get this, he is praying for us right now. Don't listen to the enemy who's saying, did God really say? No, he said it. It's true. He is praying for us right now. And as believers, we who were once hostile and rebellious towards God are now commissioned by God to let his message be known through us in word and deed to a world that seems to be growing more and more and more hostile to Christianity. So how should we respond? Do we get angry? Well, I think we've seen what happens when the church gets angry, right? Just go back to, well, just go to social media right now. But even go back to the COVID years. And what resulted in that? There was a mass exiting from the church. Said, so I don't want any part of that. Or do we retreat and we just isolate ourselves? And we only hang out with believers? No. See, Jesus sent us into the world as the Father has sent him. His mission is messy. It's messy. His mission is also risky, but his mission is also rewarding. Lastly, in this section, we see that Jesus prays for our sanctification on mission for him. John 17, 17 through 19 says this, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, Jesus prays. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. 
Now you might be asking, what in the world does our personal holiness have to do with his mission? And my answer to you is everything. Everything. To be sanctified means to be set apart. To be made holy. And the main instrument that Jesus uses to sanctify us is by the Spirit-empowered Word of God. Our personal holiness affects those around us in the world that we live in. Listen, Jesus is interceding for us and his heart for us is that we focus on him and his word and by his grace that we are enabled to live holy lives for him. Not because of what we do, but because of what he continues to do in us by his spirit through his word. Listen, Jesus cares deeply about our holiness. It's a reflection of who he is to the world. It legitimizes that this gospel is real, that sinners are transformed. So what is Jesus' heart for us? To experience eternal life? To be on mission for his mission? And lastly, Jesus' heart for us is to be unified in the church. Look at me there again, verses 20 through 26. I do not ask for those, for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Did you catch that first part in verse 20? He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. The text does not say for those who might believe or possibly believe or could believe. It says who will believe in Jesus. I love what Scotty Smith says about this passage. He says this, the great commission isn't our job to get done, but God's promise to fulfill. We are privileged to live as characters in God's story of redemption, he goes on to say, and also proclaimers of the story. But we must never forget it is God's story. God will fulfill his mission for his glory and our good. Jesus' heart for the local 
church, as well as the universal, is not just to be somewhat unified or partly unified, but perfectly unified. And this unity is not something that we create, but it's a grace-saturated gift to the church. Listen to what Jesus is praying for us right now. That we would be unified, perfectly unified. He says it over and over again. Jesus' church is filled with all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of ethnicity, from all kinds of contexts, from all over the world, from every tribe, tongue, and nation, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Philippians 2.10. Jesus prays and is praying right now for the unity of Substance Church. For sinners transformed by God and empowered by the Spirit to maintain this unity at Substance. We have unity with each other because we have union with Christ. There are two things I want to say briefly about the importance of our unity in Christ. Unity is not uniformity. God is not about making cookie-cutter Christians. <laughs> His unity is diverse. It's holy. It's a gift. And it's rich. He takes our backgrounds, he redeems them, and then he turns around and he uses them for God's, for his own glory. No other God can do that. No other God. We want to be about making disciple makers, not cookie cutter Christians. Secondly, unity at the price of orthodoxy is no unity at all. What do I mean by that? Our theology, what we know about God, what he says about himself and his word, how his character is intricately linked to his word. His word says that he does not lie. What we know about God from the scriptures and how to live for him, it has to drive our heart for his mission and ministry to a broken sin-stained world. It has to. It is not the other way around. Sadly, more churches are bowing to the cultural pressures to compromise the gospel. Listen, when we let our empathy Please listen. When we let our empathy replace the gospel, rather than let our gospel drive our empathy, then what happens is that sin is no longer sin. God's grace is cheapened. 
Jesus came to transform sinners and set them free. Not to go back into the bondage that they were in again, but to live as free for him and not themselves and not ourselves. When I pastored in Oberlin, I was part of a prayer pastor's fellowship group. And I was the minority in this group. It was awesome. It was great. I was the only white guy. There was a Hispanic guy. There was a black guy. There was a black Hispanic guy. And you know what? We disagreed on some things, but we disagreed on the non-essentials. But the one thing that we agreed on was the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he was still in the business of transforming sinners saved by the grace of God. That's what we agreed on. And because of that, we had a fellowship. So that when they prayed and they came to different churches and they prayed for those in the community, they were praying that the community would be rescued by God through Christ. The Apostle Paul knew this. The gift of unity in Christ and he encouraged the church to maintain it. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, eager, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So how should we respond to Jesus' prayer for us? Two things briefly. Pray. Pray what Jesus is praying right now. Pray that you would experience eternal life and continue to do so. Pray that you would be on mission for his mission and not be compromised or be sidetracked or distracted by the evil one, to be sanctified in his word. And pray that you would, by God's grace, cherish the unity that we have in Christ and maintain it by the grace of God. This is Christ's heart for us for his church, to live and know what eternal life is, to be on mission for his mission and to be unified. And he is praying for us right now, interceding on our behalf. Secondly, very simple, turn your eyes to Jesus. Turn your eyes to Jesus who has already set his gaze upon you. We're going to sing here in a little bit during communion. Verse 2, turn your eyes. Turn your eyes to the hillside where justice and mercy embraced. There the Son of God gave his life for us and our measureless debt was erased. 
Hallelujah. We are going to celebrate communion this morning. What a beautiful picture of the God-given unity that we have in Christ Jesus. This is why the table is only for believers. This is why the table is for those who have embraced Christ, worship him, follow him, love him as imperfectly as they do. So if you're not one of those, we're not trying to be cruel here. We're trying to follow scripture. Please remain in your seats. Yes, there's going to be people getting up to receive the elements. But if you don't know Christ, remain in your seat. Pray. Pray to Jesus. Turn your eyes to him. This table before us, the juice, the bread, representing Jesus' blood that was shed for us, his body that was broken for us, again, is just this beautiful picture of the God-given unity that he has given us. That from all kinds of backgrounds and life and everything, we get to partake of this because of what he has done. It's not just a ritual. It's not just another thing that we do in church. But it's a representation of the gospel on full display. So on the night that he was betrayed, he took the cup. He gave thanks. He gave it to his disciples who knew that they were going to scatter. <laughs> and said, do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood. Drink of it. For the forgiveness of your sins. This is the bread, my body that's been broken for you. Take of it. Eat of it. And remember the sacrifice that I gave for you. I'm going to pray, and as I'm praying, the ushers and the worship team can come up. And let's glory in the unity that God has given us in communion. Father, thank you, Lord, for your precious and holy word. Thank you that you are interceding right now on our behalf, that these prayers that you are lifting up on behalf of us to the Father are being answered right now, even as we speak. Glory to you, God. Hallelujah. May you receive, continue to receive all glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' holy name, I pray. Amen.